Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. My name is Karen. And this is Kathy. Today, we are going to be discussing episode 50 and 51 of Empresses in the Palace, Hougong Jin Huan Zhuan. For those of you just joining us on this podcast, I highly recommend starting with our intro to the podcast and intro to the drama episodes. The last couple of episodes, we've seen our main character, Jin Huan, move out of the imperial harem and into a nunnery where she is to be a nun, albeit one who does not shave her hair. However, she was treated very poorly and suffered health issues. Fortunately, the handsome 17th prince, Guo Junwang, was around to save her, and after sharing his feelings and seeing his devotion, Jin Huan decided to be with the handsome 17th prince. They are spending some good quality time together as a couple. We'll start our recap from there. I've been nagging on this portion of the drama. These two episodes, in my opinion, are probably the two most boring episodes in the series. I feel like it's quite a drudge to go through them as not a whole lot of exciting stuff happens, but here we are. We will go through the recap for these two episodes and then also do some analysis. Episode 50 begins with our faithful imperial doctor, Wen Shu Chu, visiting his love since childhood, the main character, Jin Huan. However, he sees that she is painting with the 17th prince and it seems like their relationship is very close. He is upset at this sight because he always thought that this was his chance to be with Jin Huan. Unfortunately, Jin Huan already chose the 17th prince, and she explains as much to him. Wen Shi Chu is heartbroken, but knows deep down that she never liked him, and walks away. The couple, the 17th prince and Jin Huan, enjoy their bliss together. You can tell that in this relationship, Jin Huan can be herself. She never has to worry about her actions towards the 17th prince like she does with the emperor. She doesn't have to use any wily means to grab his attention, and she can truly be herself. The 17th prince loves her and only her. This is a pretty wonderful relationship to have, and she is very lucky to be with such a great guy. This is also one of the healthiest relationships, but... Also not quite healthy? I don't know. We'll, we'll think about that. Because, yeah, she is technically uh, her brother's, or his brother's wife. So, there you have it. While these two lovebirds are happily together, the emperor in the palace is not having such a good time. He's been stressed lately with matters of court and has only been staying with An Lingrong, the former friend of Jin Huan, who has since backstabbed her and is now working for the manipulative Huang Hou, the empress. On this night, the emperor is spending time with An Lingrong. In the middle of the night, however, An Lingrong hurriedly calls for doctors because the emperor suddenly has a high fever. Everyone is worried and confused as to what is happening. The empress dowager, Tai Hou, or the emperor's mother, Upon hearing this news, at first thinks An Lingrong is to blame. However, it is revealed that the day the emperor fell ill was none other than Jin Huan's birthday. That's right, in the emperor's subconscious, he still deeply cares about Jin Huan 
and cannot let her go even though it's been over a year or at several years at this point. Because of this information, An Lingrong is safe from punishment for now. But when the emperor was discovered to be sick, she quickly tells her maid to dump out some fragrances. Why is that? Knowing her, there's something deeply icky there and we'll see this come back to haunt her in the future. Anyways, the emperor is ill and family members have been called in to tend to him at his bedside. This includes the 17th prince. He has to stay in the palace so he cannot visit Junhuan. Instead, the two send lovely poetry to one another as a way to express their thoughts of each other during this time apart. We'll discuss these poems at the end of the episode. One day, we see the emperor being tended to by the amazing Shen Meizhuang and the 17th prince. Shen Meizhuang is the childhood friend of Jin Huan, who is now a concubine, although not in favor. The empress dowager also comes in to check in on the emperor. In his unconscious state, the emperor mutters Huan Huan, which is what he always called Jin Huan. However, the 17th prince says that he's muttering about his first wife, the deceased Chun Yuan, when the Empress Dowager asks who the emperor is muttering about. Remember that Chun Yuan's nickname is Wan Wan, which sounds very similar to Huan Huan. I thought this was very interesting. The 17th prince is steering all direction away from his love. He knows full well that the emperor is muttering about Jin Huan, but... He is, I don't know, trying to protect Jin Huan, or he's being more possessive to keep Jin Huan out of the thoughts of people in the palace. Thoughts? That's what I think, at least. Oh yeah, he definitely doesn't want people to know that the emperor still is muttering about this, uh, this concubine that is out of favor. And, of course, for his own personal reasons. While everyone is busy tending to the emperor, a character we haven't seen in a while decides to visit her son. Fei goes to visit her son, the third prince of the current emperor. For those of you who need a refresher, Fei is the not very intelligent consort who is the birth mother of the third prince. The third prince is the eldest surviving son, so he is technically first in line for the throne. Fei is prohibited from seeing her son due to some manipulation by the Empress several years ago or, you know, many episodes ago, who successfully navigated her way to become the guardian of the Third Prince. By now, the Third Prince is more or less an adult and is studying quite diligently to become a potential crown prince. Currently, the Emperor has not decided who Taizi, or the crown prince, will be. On this day, the third prince's mother, Fei, sneaks over to see her son and laments how she cannot care for him. She hopes he will become emperor so that she can become empress dowager. This conversation is overheard by the empress's faithful maid, Jian Qiu, who immediately tells this to the empress, Huang Hou. This, of course, makes the empress extremely angry as she wants to be the one and only Empress Dowager when the third prince ascends the throne. She does not want to share power with this other woman, especially this pretty idiotic woman. The current Empress will always be the Empress Dowager, but since she is not the birth mother of the future Emperor, she feels that her position 
will be challenged if any other woman actually becomes the Empress Dowager. So of course, the Empress will want to find some other way to eliminate this threat. Her opportunity comes a bit later. After some care, the Emperor finally wakes up. However, he's not very happy to see the women in the Imperial Harem and decides to head off to the Summer Palace, Yuan Ming Yuan. We've talked about this place before. The Emperor actually has some funny quotes here. He says that women may have different faces, but otherwise they are all the same. He thinks the women are boring. It's like, okay, buddy, you have so many women available to you and you're not impressed with any of them. But the one person you do care about, Jin Huan, you treated really poorly. Hmm, who's to complain? He's the worst. <laughs> so to add some spice to his life, the emperor turns his attention to the lowest of the low in the palace. He finds interest in a beautiful horse tamer named Ye Lan Yi, another one of my favorite characters in the show, whom he sees taming horses while he's strolling in Yuan Ming Yuan, the summer palace. As she's doing her job, he is enraptured by her aura. He sees a level of confidence and unbridled energy as she's riding these horses that I guess he doesn't see in the palace. I've read that people think she reminds him of the now deceased Hua Fei. While he's watching her, he doesn't say anything, but his trusty eunuch Su Pei Sheng knows exactly what the emperor is thinking. This brings us to episode 51. This trusty eunuch, Su Pei Sheng, finds where this woman lives and, by the order of the emperor, makes her into a concubine. This woman, Ye Lan Yi, is not impressed whatsoever. She's like, okay, and thanks, with a rather rude attitude. Indeed, this makes her very different from all of the other women in the palace who would have loved to have gained the attention of the emperor. She's very direct and actually wants to be as far away from people as possible in the palace. The thing is, Ye Lan Yi is already in love with the 17th prince. We find out in this episode that the 17th prince saved her life a few years back, and she has loved him since that uh, encounter, or more like devoted. She knows, however, um, that their stations in life are vastly different, so she never actually moves forward with any of her desires or thoughts about marrying him. She just holds her love for him close to her heart. For example, one day the 17th prince says he thought she looked great wearing green. Guess what? She now loves wearing green. Not only is Ye Lan Yi not pleased to be entering the palace, the other ladies in the imperial harem are not happy as well. Why would they be? This Ye Lan Yi has been able to capture the attention of the emperor so fully that he's been ignoring everyone else. But not only that, she is just a lowly servant or a lowly horse maiden. How can she compete with the rest of them? There's a lot of jealousy going around. Sadly, Ye Lan Yi is now stuck in the palace. No one ever asked her if she wanted to be there, but this is her fate. 
She hates it so much that she even takes her own birth control because she desperately does not want to be tied down. That's pretty bold. All women want to have children, except for her, it looks like. The actress for Ye Yi is called Le Yijia. She is born in Beijing, but she's not ethnically Han Chinese. Instead, she is from the Kazakh ethnic group in China, which is among the 56 ethnic minorities recognized in the country. Kazakh is a Turkic ethnic group that has a large population in modern-day Xinjiang province in China. Let's get back to the 17th prince and Zhen Huan. We kind of shifted the narrative a bit to make the recap flow more. Anyways, the two are on a lovely hike in the mountains holding hands, where they encounter a mysterious man writhing on the ground pleading for help. The two kind people rush to go to his aid. This part is some hoagy TV magic, okay? The 17th prince magically deduces that this man was bitten by a snake and just so happens to have an antidote or medicine. They feed him the antidote, put it on his wrist where the snake bite was, and instantaneously this revives him. The man awakens two seconds later. I'm not sure that's how antidotes work. The 17th prince praises the Zangar man that it was his own physical health that saved him. The man is impressed. How did they know he was from Zangar? And we've talked about this before. The 17th prince briefly explains to him that Jin Huan noticed his hands had many calluses and was muttering in Zangar. The man then creepily stares at Jin Huan, praising her beauty and intelligence. Ugh. The way his eyes blatantly stares at her with that smirk is a bit gross. He then openly boasts about his ambition for the Zangar people to conquer the Qing Empire. This man doesn't know who they are, who Jin Huan and the 17th Prince are, but this encounter is important for future episodes. Sometime later, the 17th Prince arrives with a surprise for Jin Huan. He is holding a Hehun Gengtie, or a marriage contract. We'll dive into this a little bit later. This shows that he is serious about her. He's been feeling rather jumpy lately, especially with the Emperor's illness, and wants to cement his relationship with Jin Huan. He wants the both of them to sign this Hehun Gengtie. Jin Huan is at first hesitant, but after a little persuading, agrees to sign it. They are now man and wife. The 17th prince has come up with a grand plan. He will fake Jin Huan's death and elope with her to live happily ever after. Does this sound familiar? Romeo and Juliet, anyone? Yeah, we know how that turned out. <laughs> Jin Huan is ecstatic about the turn of events. She um, drags the 17th prince over to the bedside and cuts a lock of her hair to create a knot with a lock of his hair. We've talked about this type of knot before, a tongxinjie or a love knot. They will be one heart together forever. Aw, the boy finally gets the girl, but uh, we need to get back to business, come on. The emperor summons the 17th prince to discuss the unrest in Tibet. 
the emperor needs the 17th prince to quietly travel to the Yunnan and Tibet regions of the empire to investigate. The 17th prince agrees and hurries out. Immediately after, the imperial court minister Zhang Tingyu is summoned by the emperor to A. Protect the 17th prince on his journey and B. Spy on his every move. What the heck? You like that the 17th prince doesn't really meddle in court affairs, which is why you asked him to help, but then you spy on him to make sure he doesn't meddle too much? Ugh, this guy is exhausting. The 17th prince has to say goodbye to Jin Huan, but assures her that he's only going to be gone for 40 days or so. This is a short trip. After that, they will fake her death so the two of them can elope. They'll exchange their name and live happily ever after. It's a beautiful dream, right? After a tearful and emotional goodbye, he sets off on his journey. Will they get their wish? Well, we still have 20 plus episodes of this drama left, so maybe? As Jin Kwan is waiting for her beloved to come back, she receives a surprise guest, her best friend Shin Mei Zhuang. She has come to pray at the nunnery and on the way decides to visit Jin Huan. The two friends have not seen each other in many years and it's wonderful to see each other, but Jin Huan knows that something is wrong. So Shen Mei Zhuang doesn't beat around the bush anymore and tells Jin Huan that her father is very sick. If you recall, Jin Huan's father and her family was exiled to the far off Ningguta for having upset the emperor. Shen Meizhuang tells Jin Huan that she has to find a way to bring her father back to Beijing in order to heal him, otherwise he will die. To add on to the stress, we find out that Jin Huan is actually pregnant! The episode ends with Jin Huan sharing this news with her maids Jin Xi and Huan Bi. We shall see how the 17th prince finds this news. Alright! Phew! Through these two episodes. Ugh. That was a journey, trust me. Let's get on with some of the analysis. When Jin Huan and the 17th prince are apart because the 17th prince was called away to care for the emperor, they exchange a series of notes. These verses collectively come from a collection of poems called Jiu Zhangji. They originated in the Song dynasty and are based off of a series of songs during the time period. Two of these Jiu Zhangji are recorded in a collection of verses called Yue Fu Ya Ci. It is categorized as a Ci Pai Ming, which is a type of tune for the words. The performance style is called Zhuan Ta, where there is a combination of dancing and speaking for the performance. There is also a specific tone pattern for this type of song or poem. Many people have written other verses in the style. The verses of the particular Jiu Zhangji that is shown in this drama reflect a silk weaver's longing for her beloved when he is away, the loneliness of separation, and her worries that they might not reunite. Jin Huan and the 17th prince here are sharing their love for one another through these verses. This is really sweet and everything, but in my opinion, why send these verses? Maybe they fear that the notes might be intercepted, so they don't want to uh, be very blatant about their affections towards one another. They're literally just quoting 
verses and sending them to each other. They all know how the next line goes. Why can't you write something more personal? <laughs> next, um, let's talk about the marriage contract that both the 17th prince and Jin Huan sign. It's called the Hehun Gengtie. This is a common tradition that is still practiced in various parts of China today. When the couple exchanges this red slip, they are engaged, or they are betrothed to be married. The couple will write their name, hometown, and something called Shengchen Bazi. This literally translates to birth time, eight characters, but in English it's the four pillars of destiny. Your birth year, month, date, and hour comprise of these eight characters, which are very important in Chinese culture. They are used in fortune telling as well as for marriage matches. Think of it as your horoscope. For marriage, often what will happen is the families will send either their son or daughter's shengchen bazi to a matchmaker. The matchmaker will then compare the information between the two to determine if the man and woman will make an auspicious match. If yes, then hallelujah, proceed with the marriage. If not, find someone else. It's very, very complicated. I tried and went down the rabbit hole of trying to kind of explain more, but I can't really do that justice. If you want to learn more about this, Google Four Pillars of Destiny and good you'll luck. <laughs> yeah, you will spend so much time trying to figure out uh, what your Shengchen Bazi is, which is cool, but it, again, will not, or maybe it will, guide your life. All right, finally, let's talk about Liang Shan Bo Yu Zhu Ying Tai, or the tragic love story of the butterfly lovers. Why? Well, the night before his departure, the 17th prince says that he and Jin Huan will not end up like the butterfly lovers. So what is this story? This literally foreshadows what's going to happen and is a throwaway line in the show, but rather significant. This story of the butterfly lovers is one of the most famous folk stories in Chinese culture. The first records of this story appeared in the Tang Dynasty. There are many, many versions of the story, but the most famous one goes like this. The young woman, Zhu Yingtai, wants to attend school, but can only do so disguised as a man. On her journey, she meets a fellow young man named Liang Shan Bo. To their surprise, they find out that they'll be classmates at the school. They take a liking to each other and swear an oath of brotherhood. So they're, they're pals. They study together for the next three years. During that time, Zhu Yingtai falls in love with Liang Shanbo. He is completely oblivious to her feelings for him and doesn't suspect her true identity in the slightest because Zhu Yingtai is supposed to be a boy at this point. One day, Zhu Yingtai is suddenly recalled home. Months later, Liang Shenbo visits Zhu Yingtai's family. During this visit, he discovers that Zhu Yingtai is actually a woman. To her delight, he proclaims his love to Zhu Yingtai. But this happiness is short-lived. Zhu Yingtai is betrothed to a wealthy man named Ma Wenzai. There's nothing much that the lovers can do. Heartbroken, Liang Shenbo wastes away at his job as a county magistrate. 
he dies shortly afterwards. On her wedding day, a strong gale prevents Zhu Yingtai's marriage procession from continuing. They just so happen to stop near Liang Shenbo's grave. Zhu Yingtai realizes where they are, steps out of her carriage to pay her respects to Liang Shenbo, crying that she wished they could be together. Right then, a bolt of lightning cracks Liang Shenbo's grave open. Without a second thought, Zhu Yingtai jumps into the grave. The grave closes, and two butterflies emerge from the grave and fly away together. And that's, in a nutshell, the tragic love story of Liang Shenbo Yu Zhu Yingtai. There are differences in the versions on when Liang Shenbo discovers Zhu Yingtai's true identity, but for the most part, that's the general gist. As one of the most famous folktales in Chinese culture, this story has been passed down through the generations in various art forms. There are famous operas, movies, TV shows, plays, and musical pieces all about these butterfly lovers. Most of them are actually quite lovely. People call this the Chinese Romeo and Juliet, but this of course preceded Shakespeare's story by almost a thousand years. Back to our story, or our drama, the 17th prince declares to Jin Huan that they will not end up like the butterfly lovers. One dies of heartbreak, the other marries a person she does not love. Hmm, I wonder what happens in this drama. <laughs> they were so adamant that this would not happen. Well, that's all for us today on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. We are working on quite a few additions to expand our reach to fans, um, but that is upcoming. We will find you guys in the next episode to see what happens with Jin Huan's pregnancy. Thank you all so much and hope you have a great week.